Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting in the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Vegas 37, Ryan Spann versus Anthony Smith, an exciting light heavyweight showdown. But we, of course, will not be talking about that fight or any other of the fights on this here main card because this, this is the prelim primer where we only break down the prelim portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and asking yourselves, why just the prelims? Why not break down the exciting main card that's happening this weekend? The answer is really simple. The answer is we think there's lots of intrigue on the prelim cards, and we also think there's lots of money to be made if you're playing fantasy, daily Daily fantasy, maybe you're playing, you're putting down some bets, maybe you just want to play a pick'em contest. All of that kind of stuff is one on the prelims. So you got to know your stuff. And speaking of knowing your stuff, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by the All-Star app. These days, there are tons of previews, recaps, analysis, and podcasts out there. There's really more than you could shake a stick at. It's too much. And when you're looking to get that insight to give you the edge, it's really hard to block out all of the noise from what really matters. And that's why you should download the All-Star app, because they provide you with expert commentary from some of the most respected names in the sports world, including yours truly, and all of their incredible content is packaged in an intuitive, fully interactive app right in the palm of your hand. And it's free. That's right. Free app. There's lots of other great features to the All-Star app that I'll be telling you about a little bit later on in the show. But for right now, go to the All-Star app in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store or by visiting theallstar.io. Now, to help me break down these fights, I have, of course, joined by a special co-host joining me today. You might know him as at MMA Dan Martin on Twitter. You might also know his work on Bloody Elbow, My MMA News, and dozens of other places. Of course, I'm talking about Adam Martin. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Daniel. What's up, man? I'm glad to be back. It's been a while. I think it's been like six months since I've been on your show, man. But you know I always love doing it. I'm glad I'm, I'm available today to do it with you, and I'm looking forward to breaking down these prelims with you, my man. Absolutely. Me as well. So let's get right to it. I'll start by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Tony Gravely versus Nate Manis. So, Gravely, after losing his debut, has won two in a row. Most recently, he beat Anthony Burchock. That was by knockout back in April. Manis, meanwhile, 2-0 in the UFC. He beat Johnny Munoz by decision. Followed that up with a submission victory over Luke Sanders back in November. Now, my interesting question here is that both guys do seem to have, like, a wrestling base. But one of them obviously leans on it much more than the other. And Tony Gravely... Do you think that he has the advantage in the wrestling, or does Nate Manis' wrestling, do you think, cancel it out a little bit here, and we're going to see a striking match? Yeah, it should be an interesting fight, Daniel. Like, Ravely's been dominant with the wrestling. He's landing over six takedowns per 50 minutes. That is a high rate. That is very high, and it shows he can get most guys down. But Manis has 88% takedown defense. So this guy, especially against Johnny Munoz, who seemed to be a very good grappler, Daniel, took him down, or wasn't able to get him down. So... It makes this fight very interesting. And Manis is a very big bantamweight. We should mention that as well. He's got height and reach advantage in this fight. The only thing I find with, with an issue with this guy is that he's always moving backwards in his fights. That's the problem I, I have with him. And, like, I, I think that Gravely could just be more aggressive. And eventually in that small cage, I think he'll be able to grab his legs and probably get him to the ground at some point. You know, I, I think it's going to be hard to get him down and, and keep him there. But I think eventually he will be able to. So I'm leaning a little bit towards Gravely here. But it is a close fight for sure. The odds seem about right for this one. 
I, I just I've been a little bit more impressed with Gravely in the UFC, and I I I tend to like fighters that train in American Top Team. So for me, that's a little bit more of a boost. I'll take them to win this fight. Yeah, and I will say this too, and I've been back and forth on this fight quite a bit, and it, it's kind of shocking to see Nate Manis come in at like plus 170, plus 180, which is where I've seen him lined, because I do think this is a really close fight, and the thing I like about Manis in this fight is, you, you sort of outlined it, he is going to move backwards, Gravely is going to keep going for the takedowns, Gravely not always with the best gas tank, if, you, if you'd seen him on the regional circuit beforehand, he does tire a little bit here, and like you said, Nate Manis does a good job of getting up. He does a good job of, you know, even when he was taken down by Johnny Munoz, getting right back to his feet, not spending a ton of time on his back. If he does that and he makes Tony Gravely work for a couple of these takedowns, I actually think the late part of this fight is going to lean towards Nate Manis. I think the longer the fight lasts, the more I like Nate Manis. And, and to be honest, if, if I'm going based on odds here, I love Nate Manis at the odds he's currently at. So... For my official pick, I'm going to go with Nate Manis. I actually am going to go with him by some sort of late stoppage here. How do you see Gravely getting it done? Yeah, it's tough. I'm, I'm thinking a decision. I think he's going to grind him out. But, man, like I was saying, this is a tough fight to call. It's not an easy fight at all. I wouldn't completely say that, you know, Gravely's like some walk. But I've seen some people say that's crazy. Manis is a good fighter. Daniel, I've seen him fight in Canada. He was in the TKO promotion. Been very well aware of this guy for a while. Should be a good scrap, man. Very good scrap. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And let's talk about another close one, which is Panny Kianzad versus Raquel Pennington. So Kianzad quietly has won four in a row. The most recent win was over Alexis Davis, that back in June. Pennington, meanwhile, has alternated wins and losses in her last four. Most recently, she defeated Marianne Renault. That was in June of 2020, though. So we're talking about, you know, 15 months off at this point in time. So my, my question for you is, Rocky has, has had this layoff. She's looked kind of a step slower in her last two or three fights. Do you feel like she's still an elite bantamweight? And does she even need to be here to beat Panny Kianzad? I'll be honest, man. I never really thought she was like an elite bantamweight. I'm just, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Raquel Pennington's game. I find it kind of just dry to watch. I'll be honest with you. Like she's kind of like a, wants to grind you against the fence. Maybe throw some strikes at you, but not, not really. Like she's kind of just trying to stifle your offense, almost nullify you to win her fight. So I don't really find her exciting to watch, but she is quite effective with her style, I find, Dan. And she's, you know, she's been good in the UFC. She has good wins. She's fought in good competition. And she's very durable, very hard to finish. Now, Penny, I think, has looked really good lately. Um, I've been on her in the last couple of fights, and I've made some decent coin on her. But, you know, I do feel like this is a step up of competition based on who she's fought recently. And, you know, again, Raquel is not a, not a scrub, man. She's not going to just stand there and get boxed up, I don't think. I think she's going to be able to kind of grind this fight out and push Panny against the fence, maybe get to the ground. And on the ground, I, I do think Raquel would have an advantage, especially with submissions, because we've seen Panny struggle in that department. So I'm leaning towards Raquel. It's not like a highly uh, confident pick by any means, because I think it's going to be a pretty close fight, Dan. But I am leaning towards the, the veteran experience to, to kind of win out here. Yeah, and we're going to have a lot of really close fights on this card. Looking just at the odds, everything is razor close. And that's probably why we're going to differ on the first two of these fights, too, because I'm actually going to go with Panny Kianzad in this one. You know, I, I think you mentioned it right in there when you said she's not just going to sit there and get boxed up by her. And I think you're right. I think she's going to want to push her up against the cage. But I think when it is that distance, that's exactly what it's going to happen. She's going to get boxed up. So then the question for me becomes, can Raquel Pennington do enough against the cage to lure the judges in her favor. And I think she probably can in one round, maybe. 
But like ultimately getting your head snapped back a dozen times is going to look a lot worse than holding somebody against the cage for two minutes before they separate. And Kianzad has gotten better against the cage. She looked better last time out against the takedown of Alexis Davis. I think ultimately I like her enough just to do enough standing. It's clearly one of those fights when it's at distance, one is going to win. When it's in close quarters, the other one is going to win. I'm just hoping that, you know, Panny Kianzad looks good enough in those first moments. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, one of my favorite features of the All-Star app is got to be the player bios. Say you're looking to do a little research about the upcoming fight between Ryan Spann and Anthony Smith. Well, you just click on that fight, which is so easy to find under their scores tab. And you not only get when the fight is happening, but you get the opening and the current lines. The opening and current lines, both for the fighters and for the over and unders. And it's not just betting lines in there, too. They've got so much more. They've got their full records dating back to their pro debuts and so much more information, height, reach, all that kind of stuff in the palm of your hand. And it's going to help you make your picks better. So go download the All-Star app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store or by visiting theallstar.io. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Montel Jackson versus J.P. Bays. So Jackson is one four of five. Most recently, he knocked out Jesse Strader. That was back in March. Bays, meanwhile, lost his UFC debut to Bruno Silva. That fight was a loss by KO, also in March. The the tricky one for me in this one, Adam, is is he J.P. Bays has given up five inches of height, eight and a half inches of reach. Do you think there's any part of Bays' game that gives you the confidence that he can overcome something like that? No, I don't. I have no confidence in this fight. Honestly, like on a card like this, where there's so many fights that are like minus 120, minus 130, very tough fights to call. call and then you have a big favorite like this. I want to just go with the chalk and pick the big favorite here. I, I feel like I don't want to overthink this pick. JP Bays is to me not even a UFC caliber fighter. Like I really don't think he should be in the UFC. He got lucky, got in the contract in first place. He didn't even choke the guy out. The referee stopped the fight too soon. Then you saw him in the UFC. He looked absolutely terrible against Bruno, Sil- Bruno, uh, Bruno uh, Silva. And I have no confidence in this guy going forward. Um, his his wife, Cheyenne, looked amazing in her last fight. I feel like of the two buys, Bays, I should say, she's probably the one that is going to end up having the better career in the UFC. I just think this guy, maybe if he moved down to flyweight or something, he could do okay with the wrestling because he does have a good wrestling base. But Montel Jackson's a nightmare match for him. He took this fight at short notice. I think his manager made a big mistake taking this fight. I, I expect him to get finished here, quite frankly. And, my, and the only question I have is, does he get finished by a submission or a, or a TKO? Now, Jackson, mostly a, a guy who finishes people with strikes, but I'm, I'm thinking he could submit him too because I feel like this fight probably will go to the ground. And I think there's a chance that Jackson get his neck too. And that, that prop is plus 500, which is nuts to me because he's minus 700 at the sports book. So you get a prop on him to stop – stop his opponent at plus 500 and that's what i'm looking at here so that's my thoughts on this one man i want to tell jack to completely wipe out jb Bays. i i 100 agree i i think whether you like it by sub or whether you like it by tko i i think he gets one of those because look he's just miles better and like you said he's a nightmare matchup for a guy like Bays who who does like to wrestle and does need to get into close quarters and he's up against a guy you can't get in on so yeah i'll take montel jackson too and i'll follow your lead with him getting the finish there 
And that brings us to our next fight, which is Impa Kasangane versus Carlston Harris. Kasangane, 2-1 in the UFC. He got a rear naked choke on Sasha Palatnikov back in April. Carlston Harris, we now beat Christian Aguilera by an anaconda choke back in May. That, of course, with his UFC debut. My question for you is, Impa Kasangane has showed off some really snappy jujitsu in his last fight against Palatnikov. Now, Harris, obviously a good grappler in his own right. Is it a good part of the game plan here for Impa to try to work some of that wrestling and some of that jujitsu in, or should this be one that Impa keeps on the feet? Yeah, it's an interesting question because uh, Carlson Harris is a really good grappler. I think we can both say that. The guy's very solid. He looked good against Christian Aguilar. The guy doesn't have good take to defense, obviously. But, you know, I, I don't know, man. Here's the thing. The problem with this guy is he's 34 coming into the UFC. That's the problem I have with him. Like, he's not a prospect. He's a guy that's already a full, a finished product. Um, whereas Impa is still getting better and still growing as a fighter, and, and he's already good. That's the thing about Impa. He's already good. Aside from the freak knockout to Buckley, I mean that that's gonna happen to anyone. That was just a crazy kick. This guy's had a good career in the UFC. He's had a good career in contender series. I've been a believer in him, um, and I believe in Sanford MMA as a gym. I love that gym. I think that the the training there is amazing. I will say that this is an interesting matchup just because he's fighting another grappler that might you know try to. It, to pursue that, and if, if it turns into a grappling fight, I mean, maybe Harris is the better grappler. But overall, with Kasangani, you know, coming down from 170, I think he's going to be strong enough to throw it off those takedowns. And on the fee, I do think he's a little bit of a better striker. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Kasangani in this one, Daniel. I'm high on this guy. Um, and hopefully he's able to keep the fight standing. Because I think if it does go to the ground, he could be in trouble. But otherwise, he's, he, should be in, he should be good here. Yeah, I, I agree with you in, entirely. I, I think he might have a slight disadvantage in the grappling, but I also think he's safe enough in his grappling that he's not going to get caught and ultimately a much better overall fighter, both in terms of pacing, his, the, the technique on his feet, the way that he keeps space. There, there's so many reasons to like Impa Kasangane. And, and like you said, Sanford MMA. We're always high on Sanford MMA. So, yeah, I'm going to take Impa here too, and I will take him. I'll, I'll say I take him by decision. And that'll bring us to our last fight of the second round, which is Tapon Chukwi versus Mike Rodriguez. This is another close one as far as the odds are concerned. Chukwi, after winning his debut, got beat pretty badly by Jung Young Park by decision in May. He got taken down about 450 times. Mike Rodriguez, meanwhile, lost two in a row. Uh, one of them to Ed Herman, which we could certainly sit here and debate that loss all day if we wanted to. And then he lost to Daniel Marquez, both of those submission losses. Now, both of these guys kind of got grappled up the last time out, but are now probably going to get the much-needed striking match they want. One's a big power puncher. One kind of uses it from distance. Which of the striking styles do you think plays up here? I think this is an interesting fight to you, man. I mean, this is a guy, Nachukwi, who I was like, I got to be honest, Daniel, I was so high on him coming off contender series. Like, he looked amazing in, against Matt Diego. And even on uh, the regional scene, like, when he knocked out William Knight, it was kind of an early stoppage, but still, that's a good win to have your resume. Guy looking like a destroyer. Comes to the UFC and he's kind of struggled, in my opinion. You know, he beat Jamie Pickett, but not the most impressive win. And then he lost to Junior Park. And that fight really made me scratch my head because I thought he'd win that fight. Now, I think that cutting it at 185 was really hard for this guy. And I think he's making a good call to move back to uh, 205. He just seems like a really thick dude. And it was probably su just sucking the life out of him to make 185. So I think it'll probably be a good move to move up back to 205. But... Now they're giving him Mike Rodriguez, he's one of the biggest two of fivers. So it's kind of a fight that's making me scratch my head a bit. Because Mike Rodriguez, I think he's been really disappointing in the UFC personally. But we do know he has sick knockout power. And, you know, it's definitely possible to go in this fight, man. He's just a bigger, much bigger fighter. So 
I'm leaning towards Njuku just because I, I still want to say I believe in this guy, Daniel. After what I saw in Contender Series, I want to trust my initial instincts with him. But he just looked so bad lately that I, I don't know if I can back him here. Although I'm still going to end up slightly leaning towards Njuku to edge out a decision. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think I'm going to take Mike Rodriguez um, for pretty much all the reasons you said. I, I'm just slowly losing faith in Chukwe. And, and the other thing is, too, you mentioned that, that Rodriguez is a bigger heavy or light heavyweight, rather. It's not just that he's bigger in terms of, like, physically bigger, but the length is going to make it really hard for Chukwe to land that big bomb. Like, he had trouble landing the big bomb on Jamie Pickett. He had trouble landing it on Jung Long Park. So if he doesn't land the big punch, I actually think Mike Rodriguez is way more technical in, in the long run. That's going to either lead to more openings where Mike Rodriguez could potentially finish him, or that's going to lead to more opportunities for him to just rack up points and tire Chukwe out. And, you know, obviously the, the cardio issues of Chukwe going to be a little bit less at light heavyweight, but still have been notably bad um, in his career. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Mike Rodriguez here. I'll say he gets it done. I'm going to give him a late stoppage just by tiring Chukwe out. Uh, and that's gonna go. that's gonna do it for the end of our second round. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with those last three fights. All right, guys. The other thing I really love about the All Star app is their news feed. If you're the type of person who gets your sports news from social media, stop doing that. Start reading the All Star app because they use a proprietary algorithm to only bring you the highest quality sports news right there in your feed. Plus, you can personalize your feed so that you only get the sports news that you really care about and you get it in one nice, neat little spot. So if this sounds like something you'd like, and I think it is something you'd like, go download the All-Star app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store or by visiting the theallstar.io. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Emily Spitfire Whitmire versus Hannah Goldie. Whitmire has lost two straight to Amanda Hebas and Pollyanna Viana. Those are both submission losses. She, of course, won a couple before that. Goldie, meanwhile, also lost two straight. She lost to Miranda Granger and Danielle Babita. Both of those by decision. So my question for you here is Goldie has seemed to have some real trouble with people turning up the pressure on her in her UFC career. Both Granger and Babita both seem to do that. Do you think Whitmire is going to be able to expose that same weakness here in Goldie? I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I honestly, I'm not too impressed with Whitmire. I got to be honest with you. Like she, had, she did have some nice wins earlier, earlier in her career, especially the one over Albu looked good in that fight, but otherwise like barely fights fights like once a year and, you know, getting finished in her losses too. I, I don't know, man. I'm not, I haven't been impressed by her. I will say she has good submissions obviously, but if she's not getting you submitted, she's probably getting submitted herself. I just don't think she's a complete fighter. Um, Goldie obviously struggled a little bit too in the UFC uh, against Granger. Like you said, got kind of pressured in that fight. That's how she lost. She just kept going backwards and lost to a bigger fighter, then moved down uh, earlier this summer, lost to Belby, a very, very close fight. Um, and she had almost had a third round comeback late in that fight. So uh, I was hoping she would stick at 115, to be honest with you. I think that's a better weight class for her. Moving to 125, I don't think is a good decision. The thing is, Whitmire's not much bigger than her. Whitmire's also a straw weight. So they're both moving up to 125, which kind of makes me scratch my head. What makes me wonder, like, has Emily been putting on muscle and stuff uh, during her year off? Maybe. But I, I still haven't been impressed. They're going to fade her. Um, going to go with Hannah Goldie. I think she could probably just walk her and win a decision. That's what I'm thinking happens here. 
Man, we, we are, you are the perfect guest for this one. Because I'm going to argue the opposite side of it, and that makes things interesting. I, I'm going to take Emily... I'm going to take Emily Whitmire in this one. The thing I like about Emily Whitmire in this fight is it seems to me, you're right, she's not a complete MMA fighter at this point in time. It seems like she's kind of grappler bust. And the reason she lost those last two fights is she fought grapplers who were better than her. And Amanda, Amanda Hibas is a great grappler. And Pauliana Viana subbed her off of her back. Great, Again, good jujitsu there. The, the problem here for me with Goldie is that while Goldie has got a lot of physicality and she's very physically strong... I don't know necessarily that I really like truly believe in her grappling abilities. And so far, that's the only thing that's really given Emily Whitmire trouble. I mean, even if you go back to her on the contender series or not the contender series, the ultimate fighter, she lost to Roxanne Matafari, somebody who grapples better than her. Or she lost to uh, Jillian Robertson when she was up at 125 last time. Again, a, somebody who grapples better than her. So, I, you know, I think she's kind of one-dimensional, but I also think that one-dimensional is good enough to get it done here against Hannah Goldie. So I'm going to take her here. I'm going to say she just grinds enough to get the decision. And that brings us to our second fight of the third round, which is Gustavo Lopez versus Haile Alatang. Lopez, 1-2 in the UFC. He is coming off of a loss to Adrian Yanez by knockout in March. His other loss is to Marab Duvalishvili. So the UFC doing him literally no favors. Alatang, meanwhile, uh, after winning his first two fights, got beat by Casey Kenny by 750 body kicks that led to a decision. That, of course, was back in October of last year. So he's been away for almost a year. My question for you is that Alatang seemed to be winning nonstop his first couple of fights with wrestling, 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 wrestling. And then last time against Casey Kenny, he seemed to either abandon it or just have no entries to it. My question here is, is he going to have enough of that against Gustavo Lopez? And even if he has enough opportunity, is he going to use it? He better. Um, and I think he will. I think he will. You know, both guys are, I feel, kind of in the same boat. You know, they're both like bottom of the rankings division. But, you know, I think Alatang has shown a little bit more well-roundedness, I would say, during his UFC career with the takedowns. Because um, he fought like Dr. Cole is a very, we know now he's a good striker and he was able to wrestle him a little bit and win that fight. And Benoit too, I mean, he's obviously not in the UFC anymore, but still is a good striker. And again, mixed in the takedowns to win that fight. The Casey Kenny fight still leaves me scratching my head. It's almost like he wanted to pick up a bonus check or something and was willing to just get kicked in the leg for 50 minutes to get it, but didn't end up getting it. Um, I'd like to think the guy can bounce back a little bit from that. You know, Lopez. Listen, he has some good experience fighting Kabache. Obviously, that's an organization I respect. He has some good wins over there, but I have not been impressed with him. The UFC beat Burchak, who's his training partner, and a guy who's not UFC caliber. Lost to Yanez. That's not a bad loss, but didn't do anything in the fight. Just stood around and then got knocked out when he got frustrated late in the fight. And against Marab, again, a tough fight, but just basically got wrestled 50 minutes. I don't know, man. I just... I, I think he can get all wrestled here a little bit by Alting. It's definitely a close fight. I think it's a pick him at the sports books. I'm leaning towards Alting a little bit. Very, very competitive fight. Though. I hope he wrestles. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this is a competitive fight, and it is so hard to pick because of exactly what you said. He got out-wrestled by a guy who is an amazing wrestler, outstruck by a guy who's an amazing striker, and then he fought a guy who was neither of those things, and obviously he won. So, like, where do you put him on that sliding scale between Marab Devalishvili and Anthony Burchak? Well, hopefully somewhere in there, right? Because so is, so is everybody else on the roster. So... It's hard for me to gauge, but I do like Gustavo Lopez when he swings and he gets wild. So similar to like you said with Alatang, if he wrestles, he'll probably be fine. I kind of feel the same way about Gustavo Lopez. If he lets it fly, I think he's going to be fine. And it, I have enough faith that like if he's not threatened by a guy like 
you know, Murad Devalishvili or Adrian Yanez, he's going to feel more comfortable to let it go. I think Haile Alatang is, is going to let him be comfortable enough to let him let it go. And for those reasons, I'm going to take Gustavo Lopez. I'm going to differ with you yet again. And I'm going to say he gets it done with a knockout. I think he's got the big hands. We saw it in Kambache. Like you said, I, I've got a lot of faith in Kambache fighters too. We've seen a bunch of dudes who come to slug it from that organization. So uh, I'm going to go with Gustavo Lopez by knockout. And that brings us to our very last fight. Eight prelims here. And that is Aaron Blanchfield versus Sarah Alper. Blanchfield, 6-1, making her UFC debut. She last fought in Invicta back in July of 2020. Quite a bit of time off, but in there she was booked for her UFC debut in March. But, of course, a couple of opponents fell out and she wound up not making that debut. Alper, meanwhile, lost to Jessica Rose Clark. That was her UFC debut. That was in September of 2020. She got TKO'd late in the fight. She, of course, won her contract on the Contender Series to get to the UFC. Alpar is now moving down to 125 to fight Aaron Blanchfield here, who is a natural 125-er, who actually was going to make her debut at 35 had they let her. What are sort of your thoughts on Alper moving down a weight class? Do you have more faith in her at 25 than you did at 35? I, You know, I think Alper could surprise us a little bit here, Daniel. You know, like, she was obviously... Uh, really publicized earlier this year when Jake Paul gave her the money for her training camp. Maybe she's going to show up and, and surprise us in this fight. You know, I think she's a decent fighter. I don't think she's bad at all. And I do think that moving down 125 would be a good move for her um, because she was a little bit, I guess, undersized at 135, especially in that Rose Clark fight, just kind of got controlled a little bit. So it could be a good move for her. But at the same time, you know, she's someone that is very beatable. The record 95 shows that. But, you know, good amount of experience. Been in pro for 10 years. I have respect this fighter, you know, it's someone who's put the grind in, put the time in, but it's a tough matchup, man. Blanchfield, I don't think she's amazing like some people do. I'll say that. Like some people are saying she's a future champ. I don't know if I can say that because I've seen some holes in her game, but I mean, she's definitely a good grappler and she's definitely got some striking too. And she's super young. She's only 22. So I, I thought she was going to lose to Norma Dumont because the, the size was going to be too much for her. I don't think that's the case here. I think it's going to be a little bit more evenly matched. And I do expect her grappling to be a little bit too much for Alper, but it's an interesting fight. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go with Aaron Blanchfield, though. Um, maybe she can get the finish, but either way, I expect her to win. Probably, maybe a decision, actually. I'm going to agree with you on this one. I'm going to take Aaron Blanchfield as well. I think you, you make a really good point about, like, she definitely needs some ironing out before she reaches anywhere near the potential that people are talking about. Her striking looks good. Her grappling looks good. It does need to blend together a little bit better. There needs to be some nuance in her striking, but... I think the basic tools are there, especially for a 22-year-old woman. She does have an EBI title belt from winning a 16-person tournament with some pretty impressive names. She trains Henzo Gracie. She trains a whole bunch of teams there in, in that New York, New Jersey area. She clearly has got skills on the ground. And to me, I actually think just the skills on the ground here are enough to beat Sarah Alper. Because Alper, for me, is somebody who likes to grind, who likes to take people down, who likes to get in your face. I don't care if Alper is on top of this fight. Or, or she's on the bottom, I think she's in bad shape if she is grappling with Aaron Blanchfield. Um, to me, the people who are going to be Aaron Blanchfield at the, this stage of her career are people who are going to slug with her, and that's just not Sarah Alper. She, she's not going to slug with Aaron Blanchfield. I, I think she might even be outmatched if she did, but regardless, I think she's going to try to grapple. I think it's going to be the wrong move. And yeah, I, I'm going to go with Blanchfield, and I'm going to say she does get the sub here. I, I'm going to say she finishes it. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. We gave you eight fights in just a little bit over 20 minutes. We hope you guys learned a little bit about these crazy prelims. 
before we send this off to press and we send you guys off, I did want to mention that during the, this taping, Dakota Bush had fallen off of his fight with Rong Zhu, uh, which was supposed to be the ninth prelim. That's right, count them, nine prelims. Uh, he has since he has since been replaced. Um, that that replacement happened just before taping uh, against Brandon Jenkins is going to fight Rong Zhu now. Didn't have time to get to that fight, but. Uh, of course, you can obviously keep an eye out for that one as well on the prelims. And speaking of things you can keep an eye out for, you can keep an eye out for all of mine and Adam Martin's writing over on Twitter. That's where we usually post our stuff. You can check me out at Gumby Freeland and him at MMA Dam Martin. Adam Martin, thanks so much for the time, man. Thanks so much, Brent.